Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who still to this day will throw hands if you call her a cash. (laughs) And I'm Vervada, the girl who embraces being a noob and does not care if you think I'm not a real gamer. Which one of us has a podcast about video games? Yeah, I thought so. Anyway, the story of the day is no one should have to qualify their hobbies and interests. No gatekeeping. Agreed. No gatekeeping. Today's episode is another special interview. We were honored to sit down with narrative designer Jennifer Alloway, who is currently working at Monolith Productions on their upcoming Wonder Woman game. Super cool. Jennifer's kind of a Wonder Woman herself as she started off her career in games with landmark research on the prevalence of sexism in the games industry and its impact on game content. She has done talks about her research, among other topics, at GDC, PAX Dev, PAX Prime, Indie GameCon, ECGC, and at universities across the country. It was an amazing talk with her. So, let's get into the interview. Excellent. Then we have everything we need to open the pod. So hi, I'm Jen Alloway. I started in the industry in academia. I wrote uh, one of the really early studies on sexism in the game industry and how it impacts game content. And then switched over from that into making games. I started out working on a couple small indie projects that ended up getting a bit of critical acclaim. I worked on 2064 Readily Memories, and I worked on IGF Narrative Nominee Unavowed. And then after that, while I was there, I was getting my grad degree in game design at the NYU Game Center. And after graduation, I ended up uh, working in uh, mobile narrative games. And that's how I started working on choices, you know, a lot of mobile romance titles on their platform for a good three and a half years. And then last year, I made a switch and uh, I'm making a really big D&D game. I I could not be more excited about it and I can't talk about it for many years. So, uh... (laughs) 
Uh, as long as we talk about anything but that today, we're good. <laughs> I'd have to say like, that would probably be the hardest thing for me. Like, oh my God, I have something really awesome and I can't talk about it. But just trust me, it's awesome. <laughs> the good news is I have a lot of amazing coworkers and I can talk to them as much as I want. <laughs> oh, that would I help. can relate. My last job was a Korean language analyst for the government. So I'm definitely used to not talking about my work. <laughs> But I, it was super boring, so no one wanted to know anyway. But that, a game, I would be like, in five years, you guys will know what I'm so excited about, or 10 Basically. years, or however long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be so cool. I, when I was looking you up, I was very, I mean, obviously, this, we're a podcast about video game romance, but I was really, really interested in your research that you did. Because obviously, like, I mean, I, I come from also a job industry that is highly male-dominated and full of sexism. And uh, as a lifelong female gamer as well, I've definitely experienced that from a fan perspective where people have questioned, like, no, you don't actually play games or you don't know what that is or mm -hmm. <laughs> frustrating. But I wanted to hear more about, like, what you found for your research and how now that you're in the games industry from then, like, how... Has it changed since then? Because it was 2015, right, when that came out? Well, so it was technically 2014 when I presented the research. I conducted during 2013 and then presented in 2014 at GDC. And then it took, like, a long time after that, like, another three, four years for it to get published in a book. So it was, academia is slow. <laughs> to talk about findings for a little bit, absolutely. I mean, so in the initial study, I found that, so I, I it was a, uh, once again, I put my research cap back on. This has been a while. So there were two methodologies that were used during the study. One was qualitative, so focusing a lot on interviews and using interview data as sort of my means of understanding the situation. And in that case, I believe I interviewed 35 people. I believe I interviewed 31 women and four men. Those numbers might not be right. It's been a long time, but it's the, about that. I also, after I did the interviews, conducted a survey using game industry networks to try to get, you know, people. And I ended up getting, I think, between like 150 to 300 developers to answer it, um, which it was considered a significant enough sample size that we could have kept working. And this quantitative findings were that, you know, about 64% of the women who answered the survey said that they had experienced some kind of sexism and that several of them had also experienced, you know, direct forms of sexism that were really overt. There were a whole bunch of other things that we found during that study of time. I think my favorite tidbits, because otherwise we'll be here talking about it all day, right? Uh, I think my favorite tidbits is that of the people I interviewed, 25% uh, of the women were like, yeah, I've never experienced sexism. And then over the course of the interview, like 30 minutes later, they'd be like, yeah, there was this one time. And they described something that was very clearly sexist. And I found it really interesting how women themselves can even like, as coping mechanisms or otherwise, just like not realize when these things are happening to them or, or they do, they just push it down and they don't like not acknowledging it themselves. And I thought that was really interesting as a survival mechanism in an industry where it probably happens a lot. Another thing that I found that was really interesting in the survey specifically, when I surveyed men and women, of the men that responded, 
you know, I asked like a question or I said some sort of statement, like I agree with the statement that, you know, and the statement was something along the lines of that, like, you know, gender politics and, and the rights of women and that kind of stuff is important to the game industry only, you know, phrased a lot less biased because I'm, it's been a long time since I wrote the survey, but it was something like that. And 35% of the men were neutral, meaning they had no opinion or didn't care. And I really think that that number was more damning than than men who did who like were like yeah screw women because at least them we can silo to a corner you know like you know we can those women root themselves out very quickly and then you know for most people they don't end up in the same but having men that are apathetic to the cause means that we have basically they are complicit right and complicitness always favors, you know, oppressors, right? So that number of, you know, that very small number of men that really were like, ma, women are bad, like suddenly they have 30% more allowance, basically, because this group of men is apathetic, meaning they won't do anything to stop these men over here, right? And so that gives the power to a very toxic group, right? And this is how problems are, are systemically perpetuated. But yeah, I could keep talking about things all day about it. But in short, we found that, yes, there is sexism. Yes, women are experiencing a lot of it. And yes, it's impacting game content, because if you can't honestly be yourself in a work environment, how can you honestly voice your opinions on the game and expect them to be heard? So yeah, that's the Cliff Notes version of the study. If you want the, the full version, you'll have to look at a book called Woke Gaming, uh, Digital Challenges to Oppression and Social Injustice. And there's tons of essays in there that are really, really important, really good, really love them. Uh, so yeah, don't just read it for me. Don't. There, there's a lot of other great stuff in there, um, and it's a great book. When you were talking about how there were women who were saying like, no, I've never really experienced that. But then further on in the interview, went back and was like, oh, yeah, there was this one time. I was like, you know what? I've experienced that so many times where I'm talking about a situation that happened. And another person will be like, that's, that's actually really bad. But in my yeah. head, I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, okay, it happened that one time, but then nothing else came of it. So it's not that bad. Then no, it was, it mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. bad. It's bad. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's a survival mechanism. I think women are so accustomed to dealing with sexism on a daily basis from all parts of their lives that we just when sometimes when something really shitty happens uh because men uh, <laughs> um we just like tamper ourselves down and we tell ourselves that this wasn't a big deal and that we shouldn't make a big deal out of this because then we're going to be one of those women that makes a big deal out of things and society tells us that women who make a big deal out of things is bad and like all this conditioning comes in and it takes time and like a lot of help in my experience from the outside, because that's what it took for, for my cases of this, right? To be like, oh, oh, this wasn't funny. This mm -hmm. wasn't something to like laugh off nervously as a joke. Like this was bad. You know, I'm just grateful for the people who have helped me through mine. And I just hope that we can make an industry where that doesn't happen so often. So. Yeah, I, I was interested too. I mean, it's, it's depressing to me to think about. I mean, I remember being a teenager playing Dragon Age Origins and 
wanting to be a narrative designer because of that game. And then I ended up joining the military. But like my before I joined the military, I got two real life jobs because I knew I was going to go just for the college money. Right. <laughs> and like I was like, I want to know what it's like to, you know, work somewhere else to have something to compare it to. Because my mom wouldn't let us have jobs while we were in school. She's like, school is your job. I had an interview at GameStop because I've always been a gamer. And in that interview, the manager like put his hand on my thigh and was like, well, you're hired. And I just giggled awkwardly and nervously because I didn't know what to do. I was I was 17 at the time. I graduated high school when I was 17. And it started there. Like that was the first time in the workplace, right? I got that job. I worked at Target and the electronics section because I, I knew games and I needed people in there who could sell games. And I can't tell you how many times people would say to me, can we get someone who knows about the TVs or knows about the games? And I'm like, I do. And they're like, no, like we want to talk to a man. Like I literally had people ask for a man. And then I joined the military, which is probably everyone can understand how male dominated that is. <laughs> and yeah. luckily, luckily the rating I was in was skewed more female. They had a more equal split, but still, but there were way more men. And we were also nerdy in that group of people because we were like language analysts and signals analysts and stuff and it happened all the time there and it just now that I'm older and I see this stuff still happening and now at least we're calling it out but it's like it's so weird to look back at me growing up as just an example but a common example I'm not far from the only person who's experienced stuff like this in the workplace which is what this is they're in their job and Mm -hmm. there's not just boys in their mom's basements playing video games it's such a wrong stereotype like it really is yeah like and i wanted to ask you from the sexism in video games part that how does it affect game content like are because there's like this clickish group historically anyway this and hopefully it's changing for the better but like this clickish group of toxic men in power in the games industry does that does that end up making games that cater more to that specific group of men as well? Oh, absolutely. Without even, without question, right? If you have a toxic work environment where women are scared, you know, to voice their opinions, how can the women's opinions inform the game? How can the women's work inform the game, right? Not every studio do women have allies that help them be heard, and when they're not heard, like things get made that aren't, <laughs> you know, in Ninja Gaiden, in one version of it, there was like an axis in the game that they programmed so that you could like wiggle the titties. It was just like, <laughs> like these decisions were clearly not made with women in mind. You know what I mean? And and that means that if there were women on the project, they probably didn't have a voice or didn't have a chance to to participate in that, right? Um, and I do think that we've come a long way. I do think that the public conversation is so much stronger when stuff like this happens, that people do tend to get pretty called out pretty quickly. But that doesn't mean that there aren't still problems. And it doesn't mean there aren't still instances where people are dealing with these problems on a pretty regular basis. <sighs> so yeah, I mean, it does impact game content. That's that's the short answer. When you don't have women involved, you're losing perspectives that will 
help inform the game and make it better. And then when we think about it in terms of video game romance specifically, because you just mentioned like moving the boobies and we have like, when I feel like for a long time, people, when they hear like romance games, they'll think of those like sexually gratifying video, like mobile games or the porn games, games. Mm-hmm. the porn games. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. What they think of, and that's because like, there's not, as many women but like that's that's just a subsect of games and perhaps they need to exist i'm not sure but well so there's obviously a market but there's yeah. also a huge market for emotionally fulfilling romances mm-hmm. which i know that i i have i haven't played choices but i've only heard good things about it oh. i wonder if you could <laughs> compare like how those two things can come to be and how you can use like how sexism in games crafts these porn games versus like a more inclusive studio like Pixelberry can create this like fulfilling romance story. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna unlock deep lore today, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because there's there's a whole history line I can draw from like the beginning of game design all the way up to where we are now, and that is like a long lecture. So I don't know if that's something you want, but coffee um, in yeah. hand let's get okay. into it yeah. i love it so, we want we want so to the learn ultimate question we're talking about here is so i'm going to start with a truth right which is that games made for women are stigmatized right games with romance like choices like episode like all of these mobile romance things that very directly are made by women because you know pixelberry was over half women and you know made for women like they are stigmatized and thought of as lesser And I think that's true for a lot of mobile games, especially targeted toward women. So why? And why are they stigmatized and men have been getting porn games made for them this entire time and it's not really been talked about or no one really cares? So let's take a a trip backward in time. Uh, Let's go all the way back to early, early video games in the 60s and 70s. And this was actually a pretty good time because programming was thought of as a secretarial job. So there were a lot of women involved in tech early on. And it wasn't until the 80s where marketing and well, there was a lot of things that happened. I wrote a whole Twitter thread about this at one point. So first things first, women have always been at the beginning of tech. They've always been around. There's Ada Lovelace is the mother of computer programming. And when computers took up entire rooms, like women's were the ones who were expected to run them. The first woman game designer was Mabel Addis, who was made a game in 1964. That's how early we have women game designers. And plenty of women got their starts in the 70s and early 80s that were really phenomenal designers, among which is Brenda Romero, who I really respect, who made this small thing called Wizardry that went on to inspire Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy and many of the games that we love now, right? So what happened? So basically a few things happened in the 80s that led to sort of a sharp decline in women in tech. Basically as personal computing and working with computers became more complex and prestigious, it became a field that attracted men to them. And then when men got attracted to it, they pushed women out. And this also led to a similar thing in like the beer industry, right? Uh, where it was run by women for thousands of years, but then when it became prestigious for men to get involved, the, the men came in and pushed out women. Another thing that happened in the 80s was 
the game crash, which led to this whole situation where people thought it was going to be like the end of the video game industry. So marketers got desperate and they're like, okay, it's the 80s. We're gendering everything, <laughs> right? We need to clearly gender that video games are for boys in marketing. It was more complicated than that, but that's basically what happened. Basically, that created this lasting impression in our cultural zeitgeist for 80s and 90s into early 2000s that games were basically a boy's hobby. And the stigma of that lasted a long time. So ultimately, people who were overtly making games for women got pushed to the sidelines, right? And there were companies that were doing it, but they were small and they were not as prestigious as, say, you know, other kind of games. And it's important to know at this point, obviously, that this is all bullshit, right? Because women like games. <laughs> and we all know it now because women make up half of gamers. So we've reached parity at this point. And there's fantastic studies done by uh, the indomitable uh, Nick Yee for his multitude of studies that prove that women play games for the exact same reasons and enjoy the same mechanics as men. If all these games are directed specifically toward men, when do games for women start appearing? So to oversimplify, point and click adventure games and puzzle games were both very popular with women just not, despite not being marketed to them, right? So King's Quest, Monkey Island, Bejeweled, Zuma, or any game that came for free on your computer in like 2000, those were like marketed toward women. Really games for women didn't take off. Uh, Farmville, it was a Facebook game back when oh, Facebook games yeah. were a big deal. Mm -hmm. And so we had a social platform that had games on it that were marketed toward women. And it made Google Bejoogles amount of dollars. Like I, it, the amount of money that I cannot comprehend and that blew every game made for, made and marketed specifically for men out of the water, right? And so now we're getting to the reason why I'm bringing this up. It's not a coincidence that the term filthy casual came out right around 2008, a whole year after this rise of casual games in the market, uh, which we, we now refer to them as mobile games, not casual games, because everyone who plays these games knows they are not casual. You, you go in there with spreadsheets, you optimize, you spend hours of your life in there, because there was a time in the internet during that era where you could call someone a filthy casual. And we don't hear that these days. We really don't. We've now reached a point where they have that attitude of these games made explicitly for women that are in a different market are casual and bad because they've been told 20 plus years of cultural zeitgeist that like this is the truth. And fundamentally, research-wise and historically, we know it's not the truth. We know women have been involved from the beginning. We know that women like games like Tomb Raider and like games like Doom and, and all these other games that we traditionally associate just for men. And as soon as we go, okay, fine, well, you're not marketing to women there. We're going to make other games that market to women. They get torn down, right? And now we're at a point where I made, you know, mobile narrative games aimed at women for, for years and I definitely had the like stigma at, at times of like, no, I'm a real dev. Like I'm making games for women that are making a ton of money and also making people really happy. You know, I definitely felt that need to justify myself as someone creating romance content that like this content is worthy and it deserves respect in the industry because there's no real like, there's no real awards or critical acclaim that like choices gets to be a part of. And what they're doing in there is 
immensely impressive. Like people look at it on the outside and they go, oh, I could do that. Ah, but like, it's, it's really frustrating when you can see the line of where this comes from, of like, you can understand why people don't take games made for women as seriously and why the whole mobile market in general gets looked down upon compared to other games. You can still understand why and also be like, man, this sucks. <laughs> like, you know, people who work in this industry are unsung heroes and they deserve respect. Not everything made on mobile is gotcha and loot boxes and, and, and bad things. Some of it is actually very ethical and some of it is actually extremely good game design that deserves respect. That's my soapbox. That was a lot to unpack. The, the first thing that I wanted to say was that as soon as you said you casual, I like instantly my hackles rose and I'm like, no, I'm not like, like I felt defensive yeah. because I've heard that so many times, especially because I come from the MMO world. And so it was yeah. like, it's like, no, dude, I can throw down just as hard. I can raid just as long. And I ain't a filthy fucking cash, dude. Back off. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> like that. It's, I don't like, like using the word casually, but like it's almost triggering a little bit because I haven't heard that in like years and years and years. And so, you know, you say it out loud and you're just like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> I felt the cringe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you, you, you feel it viscerally in your soul. If you were a gamer from like 2009 through like 2015, like you knew. <laughs> it's just that, also and, annoying because it's like, yeah. why can't what's wrong with being casual too? like why? Why are first of all, why do you question that I'm a girl and you play games? Oh, well, then you must be casual. Games are fun. They're literally called games. Like there Mm -hmm. is nothing wrong with just playing it casually for fun Mm -hmm. or being really intense and gaming for hours and hours and hours a day. If you your life allows for that. It used to for me. Not anymore. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, what is wrong with that? Why do nobody's questioning some guy who picks up one mobile game and plays it for an hour a day, maybe? Versus the guy who's a professional Twitch streamer. Like, they're all just gamers. Why can't that be the same for girls and women? Exactly. And now, let's take a quick break so you can listen to the sponsors of today's episode. Thanks for listening. This is a good spot to take a little mid-break and thank our lovely patrons. Big shoutouts and major love to Toasty, Apollo, Shanko, Mystheos, Luke, Wynn, and Bat Knight. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. These two girls have a huge announcement to make. So we've talked about it a few times, but I'm a native Portlandian. And Portland has a few gaming and comic cons that happen every year. The Portland Retro Gaming Con is happening October 14th through the 16th of 2022. And we are honored and so flippin' excited to say that for the first time ever, 
Vervada, and Genesis get to meet in real life to host a panel about video game romances. I am so excited. We are hard at work to highlight the history behind where we are today in gaming lovers. So, if you are able to travel to Portland, Oregon in mid-October, we would absolutely love to meet you. And now we're back with our show. I hope you enjoyed the ad break. And now I think we're at a point where, you know, in my experience, are no longer marketing based on things like gender and, you know, ethnicity. Like, marketers nowadays tend to look at, because at this point, so many people play games. The people who are looking at marketing, and I am not a marketing expert, so take what I say with a grain of salt, but, like, are, are looking at, like, what kind of player profiles people have. Are you playing a game for mastery? Okay, you're going to like the, the Dark Souls games. Are you playing a game to be social? Okay, we're going to find an MMO for you, right? Like that kind of thing. And I do genuinely think that like things have gotten better. Like, again, I haven't heard Filthy Casual in a long time. I've, you know, I've been really intense into Final Fantasy XIV for several years. And, you know, everything they say about that community is accurate. I, you know, everyone there has been wonderful and wholesome and kind and if anyone isn't they get stepped on it's great it's great to have a self-policing community let me tell you just in terms of like oh someone's being a dick let's all just be obnoxiously polite to drown him out it's great ultimately yeah we're at a point where things are getting better but i think it's really important to understand the legacy of our history and i think it's really important to reflect on you know why this subject matters because the impacts of this are still being felt, right? I mean, you know, the last two years, we've had an onslaught of reports coming out of XYZ Studio having immense amounts of sexism and sexual harassment inside its walls. And that's still happening now. And I think that it's important to contextualize why that's happening uh, to help make sure that it stops happening entirely, right? Yeah, I agree. Also, one of the you were going through the timeline of like game female game devs, and I was like, oh my gosh, I actually know like the perfect uh, follow up with that because Mary Kenny wrote a book called Gamer Girls, and I'm like, yes. that's exactly the everything. I'm so excited for it. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited. Mary Kenny and I actually did uh, go to grad school at the same time for one whole year. We were, uh, she was the year under me when I was in my second year getting ready to graduate. Uh, She ended up leaving the program and going off to to Telltale and has gone on to have a rock star career, which we are all very proud of. But yeah, no, I am also very excited for Gamer Girls because it goes into great detail, as I understand, on many, many, many uh, different women from all across the eras, which I think is is really great and something that we could all use. Yeah, I think, I I don't know if, if it's just me, I have a two-year-old daughter and obviously I've been a gamer my whole life. And I know us as like, I mean, visibly we all look like millennials. I'm assuming we're either millennial or elder millennial. And I think we like, especially as women and gamers, we think about the legacy basically. Like the Gamer Girls book is going to be great because I'm betting that most of the names, if not all the names in that book have largely been forgotten by people just because they were early days women game developers mm-hmm. and I'm glad they're getting the attention that they're due but I also like you as a narrative designer today 
you're carrying on that legacy. And especially when it comes to video game romances, like with choices and the work you're doing now, I remember we interviewed someone who had worked at episodes and he had said that their audience was mainly teenage girls who played their games. Is that similar at choices? Do you think, did you guys ever look uh, at that demographic? I think we, we skew a little older. So I think the oh, really? transition is, I think we, I think episode largely has teenage girls. And again, haven't worked there in a while. Do not know yeah. the actual numbers. I think that, you know, teenage girls tend to play episode and then as they get a little older, they graduate into choices. At least that's my understanding of it um, from talking to people from other mobile narrative companies. Go ahead. But when I was just thinking, how do you or do I'm sure you guys do when you're writing these things, you take into consideration, like, how can I it sounds like immense pressure, though. How can you like model good relationships between both friends and romantic partners in these games so that the younger generations have better examples? They're not only seeing female game characters as objectified characters for the male characters in the game. You know what I mean? Like, do you, how do you craft good stories while taking that into consideration? I'm assuming you do. Of course. I mean, I, I personally think, and this was something that was shared quite a bit at Choices, that, you know, we have a social responsibility as storytellers, right? That we have to tell stories that, you know, are making this world a little bit a better place or that will help other people make this into a better place, right? Oftentimes that meant like, okay, let's talk about what does a good relationship look like, you know, and how can we model that here? And okay, if we have a toxic character in the story, because, you know, stories need conflict. And, you know, sometimes the only way to really get a story going is to have conflict from someone toxic, right? How can we model in the story that this is not you you don't actually want to be like this person that, you know, how can we show the consequences of this person's toxic actions don't reward them, right? For me as a storyteller, I want to tell stories that help people find themselves. I want to tell stories that help people, you know, figure out who they are and that that give them the space to just really like soak in like what a better world looks like and what a better person looks like you know i think it's a a responsibility for all of us to and who make games right to make things that put goodness back into the world and i feel really lucky to have had a career where thus far i've been able to do that and i feel like not everyone gets to to have that that privilege and i feel very lucky that i've gotten to work with the people i have because you know, I've gotten to make things that I look back on and I'm like really proud of. In one of the choices books I wrote for Endless Summer book three, uh, there's a character with a chronic illness. And at the time I was struggling through what basically what was a chronic illness. I was sick with something for about three and a half years. I got to write this monologue for her where she was basically directly talking to people struggling with this kind of illness and seeing people online talk about how it made them feel seen and how it gave them hope and how it made them feel like they weren't alone like ah oh my god it's you know it it always gets me it you know that that's why you become a game person right that's why you you work in this industry is because someone was that for you at one point and now you get to be that for someone else when you see a character that has something 
that you hold very dear or that you know is a part of your core personality. And then you see that reflected in a character in a video game and you're like, I understand you. I feel you. And then when it's done right and it's done well and it's like, you really get that visceral connection and, mm, yep, no, yeah. no, no, also. Oh, sorry. No, go for it. Go for it. I was just going to say, I mean, stories are what sets us apart from every other animal. I feel like other than, you know, tool usage, whatever, we got animals that can do that. But stories is our human being. That's like what we are. We tell stories to teach ourselves and our children and others lessons. Like that's really what they have always been since cave people huddled around the first fire and told stories, you know, and games are, if anything, they're for me, and I'm sure many other gamers, some of the most impactful stories that I've ever been a part of, because I've been a part of them. Like, if I didn't just read it or watch it, I took place in it as well. And that's why it's so important to have not only diverse people making them, because then you have you have diverse representation within the game, meaning that the maximum possible people can be impacted by your story, yeah. which is so important. Like, how many people can think of one character in a story that that was like I was able to get through the terrible bullying years in school because I was strong like this character mm -hmm. or I got over a breakup playing this game or you know for me like I when legendary edition of Mass Effect came out um I had already <laughs> played Mass Effect but it was great to replay it that way right after I was recovering from a horrible surgery like that's what they're there for they're lessons but they're also comfort absolutely and I think you know, to come back to to romance, especially, I think romance is one of the most important ones to model when we're talking about, you know, our, what we owe to our players. I think when giving them romance, like we owe them something gratifying and something real and something that feels good because not everyone has had the privilege of real fulfilling romance and giving it to them in a game allows them to have a model for how they deserve to be treated. It allows them to break down like how they are treated in their lived life and, you know, evaluate what is working for them. And, and not everyone does this consciously, right? I would argue most people don't do this consciously. When people get really emotional because of a digital boyfriend, that digital boyfriend has raised their standards subconsciously. You get to experiment with falling in love. And I think that is what's really beautiful about romance games is it lets people try on romanticism and love and affection in a safe place where whatever happens, the game can always get turned off. You know, that's a method of self-expression and it's a method of romantic practice that gives people a chance to, to feel out what they actually want in a relationship. We all have our taste in ships. I'm guessing you guys have a, each have your own, like, oh yeah, this trope, mwah, my trope. You know, I am so excited by this trope. Uh, yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. Right? I'm guessing you figured that out with practice. <laughs> and, and by reading a whole bunch of stuff and being like, nah, mm -mm, this is the one that does it for me. Right? And, and I think that there's value that practice gives when people develop real relationships. When we talked to Heidi McDonald, when she did her research into video game romances, like people experiment with their sexuality through video game romance too. But it's not just about sex either. Like 
there's not enough media that portrays what it's like to have those kinds of relationships, whether romantic or platonic, just like affectionate, true, or, you know, how to navigate a toxic relationship and maybe extricate yourself from that or how to identify it in the first place. Uh Like those kinds of things can be shown through video games really, really well because you're participating in it. So you can practice really easily through that. I think it's a disservice that people will typecast video game romance or romance games as more of a woman thing or a female thing because uh, everyone of any gender identity and sexual expression need to learn what it's like to grow close to a person, not just through sex, right? Like how to connect heart to heart. So I no, think absolutely. It's for There's everyone. a lot more to a good relationship than sex, uh, by a lot. And I think the reason why choices succeeds and why other games in that wheelhouse succeed is because realistically, there's only so much sex you can do on a mobile app that's rated 13 plus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which means, and and really, anyone who's written sex scenes can tell you that. Like sex scenes are made sexy by what's around them. They're not actually the the amount of time you spend describing the act of sex is minuscule compared to the buildup you create outside of it with other things, right? So establishing a dynamic with someone, getting a banter going, like getting chemistry and attraction and tension building. Like those are the sexy things. You know, I I can make someone go, oh, scandalous, with like a touch of the wrist if I'm in a historical drama. And that's because what what's sexy there isn't the fact that, ooh, wrist touching, so promiscuous. It's it's the for this it's the social standards. It's how risky it is in that world to to t- physically interact because doing so could ruin you, right? Like there's what makes something sexy in these games is tension right, is tension and romantic attraction that is expressed in other ways. And then really sex itself should just feel like a victory lap. Like we've already established this connection. We've already been so together and done all this. And and obviously that depends on the dynamic. Like I wrote a book where you hook up with someone the first night and there's a whole bunch of sex all throughout the book. And that's different because that's a different kind of journey, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. like, they're starting with a very physical connection, but they're developing an emotional one over time. You know, it's one of those things where I feel like it really depends on, on the book of the person, but there's a lot more to romance than just he put something inside her and now we're going to go like, it's that's not. (laughs) Yeah. There's that. And it's like, I also want there to be more after so, uh-huh. okay, so yeah. I, I went through the romance, I got the culmination scene, but that's not where the relationship ends. Give me the pillow talk. Give me the pillow talk, but then give me the morning after. Give me what happens next week. Does that mean we get to have sex the one time and now we're never going to have any more romantic interactions again? Uh-huh. Like, not even physically romantic interactions, but do I get to still yeah. tell you that I love you tomorrow? Or is it in the, the book that I was a book lead on at Choices, Mismatch, uh, we had a morning after scene at one point. And I was so glad we got it in there because it's so important. Like, you just wake up wearing his shirt 
and you go out and he's naked and making eggs and or she depending on what you chose right and and there's just a piece right and i think that that's i mean that to me is what my relationship is is peace you know i go into stuff with my husband and i'm just like yeah we we have a home together this is peace this is comfort you know and that's what love is to me which obviously is going to influence the, the stuff i create but it, you're right. It allows a relationship to breathe and it allows it to feel so much more realistic when you give it room to feel realistic. So I, yeah, I'm with you 100%. I was just going to say about the morning after type stuff. I, I think that's really important to do. And I wish or I hope that games going forward do that more. Like even like the big AAA games, like the one that we always come back to are either Dragon Age or Mass Effect because they're mm-hmm. the two big ones that kind of established like love interests in a rpg like that and i can't help but wonder if the um prevailing male dominated industry that is you know getting better but back then i wonder if that's why that the culmination was always the sex scene and then there wasn't any mention of romance after that and each game you kind of started over like flirting 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 right before the end of the game sex then it was over and like that's fine but it's easy to fall in love and it's anyone can have sex, but like it is not easy to stay in love. And I hope games going forward show more established relationships and how that can go. Like I just finished the Uncharted series and I feel like that's a really good example of an established relationship that ebbs and flows and they, they go through conflict and get over it. And it's it's like a healthy relationship. I think that they did a really good job illustrating that. And I hope more games do that too, because Amy we all Hennig. need examples. Yeah. Thank you, Amy Hennig, the director yes. of Uncharted's one through three. Who yes. Was really good at her job. <laughs> yes, honestly. I actually the morning um of the day that we interviewed Mary Kenny, I finished Uncharted Three and I was just sitting there stunned because I was like, I haven't felt like this playing a game in so long because I'd played one, two, and three and then the creative director, Amy Hennig, is like, Oh what? I got so excited. I know. I no wonder this impacted me so much you know (laughs) so the main uh so i played Final fantasy 14 and i'm a really big i mean part of my writing practice is i i role play in an mmo uh which is i know kind of weird but it's like what taught me to be a game writer so i i still do it because i think it's good practice and it's good for me and so i've been playing through the story which is infamously good in Final fantasy 14 and the lead scenario writer on Shadowbringers and Endwalker is a woman. And I remember uh, there was a PAX. I didn't go to this panel. And I was so pissed I couldn't get in there. I, but what happened was uh, the lead scenario writer was there. And, like, she stood up and people just gave her a standing O for, like, three minutes straight. And I was just watching this after the fact, like, weeping. Because I'm like, look at look at who did it. Like gives me hope that that's something I can be one day. You know, that's just, ah, I love it. I love it so much. I will applaud you out just currently and in the future. I'm sure you're going to do more things. That's very sweet. Let me me do something else. Let me do something worth it first. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, already, like, I mean, I hope to work in the games industry someday, but for now I'm doing my thing. And um, I, I just love, I love seeing us women get it, you know, I'm just, I, yeah. women supporting women. That's what I'm here for <laughs> and mm-hmm. supporting everyone. Like, I don't want to gender it necessarily either, but there is something to be said, especially in a male dominated industry. When I see women getting there 
doing their thing, being awesome. How many of the bro stereotype gamers would have assumed that a woman came up with Uncharted, right? Like that game I know. wouldn't and have read that to them. Wrong. Maybe. And they'd be, yeah, they, they enjoyed it too, I bet. I bet they love that movie and, and or not movie, that game. Now it's a movie, I guess. I haven't seen it. Yeah. I saw I it. It was a perfectly fine popcorn munching thing. Yeah. Like if you don't think about anything happening and just enjoy <laughs> the spectacle as it's going, you're like, yeah, okay, that's fine. I hope we get better game to film adaptations in the future as well. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, uh, this is what I would say is a solid, like, C+. And it had a great spectacle at, at the end of, of the movie that felt very uncharted, but... Mm. Uh, oh, uh. but we have to ask our, our question that we ask everybody, which was, do, do you have a favorite video game romance like, uh. ship? Oh... <laughs> uh. Thank you for asking. Uh, God, you're gonna make me cry all over again. My the one I tend to to go with is Thane. Thane from Mass Effect Two makes me cry so hard every time. And like playing him again a second time after I was dealing with my own chronic illness, and like mine was no, nowhere near as serious. I was never at a point where I'm like I'm going to die. But like seeing someone struggle with like losing what their body could do before and having limitations that you just can't overcome anymore and having that moment of mortality where you have that moment of like man i need to really think about where i'm going with my life and what i'm doing because like this could have turned out bad but it didn't you know it's just one of those things where like seeing that half like seeing that again it, it gave me that moment that we all talk about where it's like you just you feel so hit and so seen Honorable mentions, I guess, are I really, really like uh, Jal from Mass Effect Andromeda, with no, which nobody likes or plays, but dang it, my, he is the best cinnamon roll husband. He is so good. I don't know, have either of you played Andromeda? Oh, yeah. Yes, I played it twice. Okay, and I did actually you romance think it was good. I did romance Jal the first time. Darling one. He is. He's like, if, when I was a 15 year old, 16 year old in high school, he would have been my like dream boat. Like, he's just, let me introduce you to your, my family and be super open and vulnerable with you and also, like, super sexy. <laughs> so, I know. And who, who could ask for more? Yeah, I think um, I think I ended up liking him because he reminds me a lot of my husband. So, I don't know. My uh, other honorable mentions are I didn't play Persona 5, but I watched my husband play Persona 5, and I love Makoto. Uh, Makoto is, I think she's my favorite. She is queen. Literally, her, her nickname is Queen in the Persona dungeons, and I love it. I'm just like, yes, yes, okay, Queen, whatever you want. <laughs> I only figured out I was bi, like, a few years ago, so I am still figuring out, like, my girl crushes in, in games. But as soon as I have more, I, I'm sure I'm sure y'all will know. <laughs> have you played Cyberpunk? Because Judy is my, my girl in that yeah? game. I yeah. have not played Cyberpunk, no. Um, uh, great story, and Judy is just the best. So cute. Okay. Such a good romance, too. Okay. Well, good to know. Uh, I'll uh, take note. <laughs> Having um. fun with Dragon Age 2's Isabella. Ooh, very good. Yeah, when I did Dragon Age 2, I romanced Fenrir. Um, or Fenris. Fenris, not Fenrir. Fen That's a Norse god. Yes. <laughs> And, you know, I, I like a sweetheart, but I'm also like, ooh, a dark broody boy. Just like, when I, oh. I was 10 years younger than I am now. That was like prime, like, guy liner loving 
time for me. And that voice. And I'm not emo enough for Anders because that is a whole other level of emo that I'm just do not. I. That's if you hate yourself a little bit. It's just like (laughs) me when I romanced Solace and Inquisition, like disappoint. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I knowing where it goes now, there's kind of no way to expect that was ever going to go well. But when you don't, it, yeah. I mean, my biggest complaint is when I was playing through, like, and again, this is like gender locking of like, okay, Tally is straight. I'm like, but th- why? Why does she have to be straight? Why can't I romance Tally as a lady? Because, oh my God, Tally, Tally, like she's great. Or like, I would have romanced the crap out of Cassandra in Inquisition if I could have. And like, I don't know, I, it just, mm, it makes me mad. Like these are, I understand the point. Like I think it, having a defined sexuality means you can have more nuanced stories with a character like that. But I, I often wonder about like, does making this character specifically, like we can make characters specifically gay and like, that's great and that kind of locking but also like it's a double-edged sword because if we make characters specifically straight that someone is like that's my dream person and i can't be with them like obviously it depends on the game and obviously it depends on you know the context like some games obviously it makes absolutely no sense to have free open date who you want scenarios but in games that promise romance it feels mean (laughs) because now i can't actually have the experience i was hoping to have I think it's more of the the way that my brain works is that if I am attracted to somebody who is gender locked, I'll switch my gender instead and just be like, okay, <laughs> let's go. I have I've no issue doing bro played, runs. I've never played a guy in like games where you can choose your own gender. And I just, to me, I'm like, no, that's a deal breaker because I just want this thing. I don't know. It was just one of those things where... Uh, I've been told that I am one of the minority in this type of situation where it's just like (laughs) I to me it's never bothered me what gender my character is and in fact for a lot of games I'll actually play as a man because I prefer it that way I've been a woman my whole life I know what my experience as a woman has been I've never been a man. I'm going to play as an experience as being a man. No, totally. And like my husband always plays as women and it's not like a, it's not like a creepy thing or anything. It's not like a, it's not like that. It's just, it's what he does. And often there's more attention in games to make the women look better. So if you want to have a a nicer looking person, the heavier the armor, the less the clothing. (laughs) Yeah. He'll play either gender, but me, I'm like, no, I don't want to be a boy. I like being a woman and I, I, when I'm playing games, like I play RPGs mainly because I am role playing. Mm. Like I make the in world that makes sense version of me to play as. So I want to play as that, but I'm sorry. You couldn't romance Cassandra. My, that's my husband's favorite for Inquisition. She loves, she loves romance novels. I she write does. romance novels. It was made for, it was perfect. It was. <laughs> Do you want to talk about where people can find you and um, say goodbye, I guess, <laughs> to the listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can find me on at Twitter on um, at Alloway J. So you put the word all in a way together and then the letter J and that's me. 
and I occasionally put opinions there and also occasionally retweet other things. I'm not as active as I want to be, but I'm getting better at it. And yeah, so there's that going on. And I think that's the, the main way to, to get a hold of me these days. And of course, we will put any links in the description of stuff that you want to shout out, links to any books that you have. Since you are a romance writer, I am definitely a romance reader. So please do. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't have like book books. But what I can do is I can tell you what books I've written on choices. Oh. And then if you want to go check out choices and finally use the excuse, I can tell you what I've worked on. And yeah, I think you'll have a, a good time. Yeah, hopefully in the near future, we get to experience the awesome game you're working on, the super secret squirrel stuff. We'll, <laughs> we'll see when. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I can't talk about it, but I can oh, tell yeah. you that it is the most exciting thing I have ever worked on. I... I love what I'm doing every single day. I love my team and I cannot wait until some iota of this is out in public so that I can scream from the rooftops what I've been doing <laughs> because it's really exciting. Simultaneously very proud of you and jealous of you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's been it took a lot of years to get here and I it's it was definitely a like man, we're here now. We're good. We'll we'll see how it goes from here now. And when it's out, we'll have you back on. And you can scream yeah. everything. We'll do a promo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. For that sure. That sounds fun. Thank you so much for giving us so much of your time today. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Well, thank you so much and have a lovely day. All right. You too, Jen. Bye. <laughs> so if you like what you're hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes or give us a rating on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me in our two girls one ship chat on the robots radio discord channel and come give us a follow on all the social medias and on patreon.com slash two girls one ship links to those are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well, and on our own Two Girls One Ship Discord server, where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Wednesdays and Fridays at 10.30pm Eastern Time, 7.30pm Pacific Time, or watch the YouTube video a few days after the stream. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. So thanks for listening, and remember... Beauty is in the eye of the controller. Vault Dwellers, join me, Jaxus, Sassy Lady Rover, Eric, and the Creator Maverick as we take topics from the Fallout universe and discuss them with other diverse individuals. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcast. You can follow us on YouTube. You can also find us on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it using at FalloutRTD. You can send us an email using FalloutRTD at gmail.com. Join us. The conversation has already started.